0: Welcome to episode 5 of the Exploding Rabbit Podcast. If you're into technical stuff and game development, you're in the right place, because we talk about that a lot on this episode. Uh, We start out with some weird, funny stuff, and then we get right into some topics like optimized code versus easy-to-use code, some stuff on ECS, and then we jump into the main topic of today's episode, which is Unity's ECS. We take a pretty deep dive into how that works, especially into the data-oriented design and the job system. And then we finish up with our regular segment of what have you been playing, where Matt talks about Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, the game that no one has heard of. And then I talk about Marvel's Spider-Man and what it's like to be a Spider-Man, and remember, you can support this podcast and all of the amazing things that Exploding Rabbit does. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. All right, let's uh, you know, let's start the
1: episode. Welcome to uh, episode five of the Exploding Rabbit podcast. My name is Matt Geyer, and I'm here with Jay Pavlina. We're here on a regular schedule. This is almost a month exactly to the last time we recorded. We're here. We're, we're keeping promises.
0: But will I release it fast enough, or will I just, we record it, and then I just take three months to release it?
1: Yeah, how does everybody spring? Everybody really make it through December, Happy January. Spring.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed the, the winter. <laughs> that was probably very warm.
1: But yeah, we got, uh, we got some stuff to cover today. It should be exciting.
0: And our most important topic we will be covering first. Yes. And that is that there's mice in my apartment.
1: Yeah, we've seen pictures if you haven't check out the Discord.
0: Yeah, so we have a Discord and we've been doing that for about a month and I've been having mice or uh, mouse traps in my apartment. Don't worry, I don't I don't kill the mice. They're the the live capture traps. But I've been posting the pictures of the mice that I catch and then people were just like what's happening?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, is this uncommon because I two have had mice just recently i've actually had a couple of them um and you're
0: like where you're living now
1: yeah where i'm living now
0: maybe maybe they just really like people that record exploding rabbit podcasts
1: it's probably the same mice i'm gonna say
0: well yeah okay so yours are alive too maybe they maybe they relay like between our two places
1: i would only assume so but yeah i uh i've had all sorts of animals i've had Uh, mice, I've had bats. What
0: the? Yeah. In your apartment?
1: Uh, it's a house.
0: You had bats in your house?
1: In the house. Multiple bats, not just the single bat.
0: So tell me, give me the scenario of, like, what happens with, I don't know, you're walking around and then there's just a bat.
1: Yeah, so it's it's kind of, like, very frightening uh, at first, because you get startled. So in my living room area, dining room area... It was like dark and so I was just like home and I was turning on the lights and you just see this thing like flying up in the ceiling and you're like, oh my God, what's that? And it swoops because it's terrified as well. When I still lived with my parents back when I was a student, we had bats there too. So it was not my first exposure to bats in the house. Huh. And so I got that bat out. Um, I have no idea if it survived or not. How'd you get uh, it out? Uh, You kind of, like, kind of swat it down, and then, like, it was still alive, so, like, I carried it out with gloves. Man, that Uh, sucks.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's
1: nothing I could do about it. Yeah, there
0: isn't really any other way to get it out. Yep. I get get moths in here. I mean, they're not as big as bats, but they're pretty big.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure they're not as big as bats. If they are, I would call pest control. Um... But yeah, but I'm so I ha-
0: like swatting that thing. It's like, I can't imagine swatting a bat.
1: Yeah. You kind of like have to try to get it. I mean, they're, they're moving at pretty fast speed. They're very erratic in their behavior. Yeah. So, uh, I've had that. And then I had one that was dead and I was like smelling something and I was like, what is that? And so I went down to my furnace and I took the filter out and it was like stuck to the filter. Um, it was dead. So it was gross.
0: <laughs> oh man. So you'd like burned in there.
1: It wasn't burned, but it had like gotten caught on the actual like filter, like it's claws or something. And I don't think it Uh, could get out. Um, but that was why it was smelling so bad, but also had mice.
0: Yeah. Now my mouse thing doesn't sound as exciting. No, go in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think we might've been living with one mouse for almost two years, but, uh, we didn't see him a lot until like six months ago. And because I would like smell something, and I've never had, I've never really dealt with a mouse before. So I didn't really know. And neither has Iggy. So we didn't really know what was going on. And I also didn't even know that they made live catch traps. Because mm-hmm. otherwise I would have just like done that way earlier. I started seeing him. Like, again, it was the same thing with you. Like, it was really late at night. And I like, just saw something moving across the ground and it was really dark too. And I was like, I was like, I think I just saw something, but I wasn't sure. And then like, you know, then I started like seeing them. Then I started becoming like a expert mouse stalker. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, I felt like solid snake because like I would lay down on the ground. Cause the mouse would always go onto our shelves in, in our kitchen. He lived in the kitchen
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: would always walk across over to our food area and I was like, what is he doing? Cause I was trying to figure out like what his patterns were <laughs> like, sure. I was on like a mouse stakeout. I was studying his behavior. And so I'm sitting there on the ground with my phone flashlight, like watching him and he would come out and I just didn't realize how like expert climbers mice were. Cause I was like, there's no way he can like get the food on the shelf. Like, <laughs> it's up high. And then he just like walks out super chill And he just, like, climbs up there, grabs some, like, sugar, grabs some oats.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's just shopping at that point.
0: Oh, yeah. And also, I used to always joke that there was a ghost in our apartment because I would always hear sounds late at night because I would be in my office programming and I would hear sounds, like, scratching sounds. And then Mm -hmm. I would go out and then they would stop and I would be like, there's ghosts Cause that's the only clear.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the rational thing to think in a situation like that.
0: So before I thought it was a mouse, I was just like that this place is like haunted or something. <laughs> but eventually I found, I, I got the mouse and then, so we, we caught him, released him. And then just, we started running a mouse, uh, hospice. Is that the right word? A hostel? That was, yeah, just mice just started coming in. I would just leave the traps at all the time. Catch them. It just became like a, the thing where Aggie would get home from work, I would go drop off the mice at the gym. Because
1: it's far away? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good location to bring them, and also I'm just trying to help them get fit.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want those buff mice.
0: Yeah, well, if they're making the trip to your place, they got to be strong to face the travel. I agree. Cool. So now that we've talked about that, I mean, I guess we're done, right, with the podcast?
1: That was it. This is uh, this was a very fruitful episode. Um. <laughs> We want to hear all your rodent.
0: Well, I mean, it's called Exploding Rabbit. It's about animals.
1: Hey, this is a animal-centric podcast. We're pro-animals.
0: Only uh, mammals, though.
1: Yeah, I guess we're going to draw the line in the sand <laughs> somewhere. That's where we're going to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should probably uh, get on to some things that people are actually interested in.
1: Yeah, so you've been... you Since the last podcast, you released the... Version of uh, Super Mario Brothers' crossover and for public consumption. Yeah. And launch the Discord for real. So we've been playing that, and, and people have been giving feedback, and you've been working like crazy. Yeah. Uh,
0: Discord is going well, it's, it's the amount of active that I'm like, I kind of like it, because it's not like too active. <laughs> I mean, eventually, eventually it will be. I mean, we used to have the forum. That thing was like so crazy Um, because it's hard to keep up, you know, when it's really active. So right now it's, you know, it's like a chill place with posts happening every now and then. Um, But yeah, I do have uh, a dev log there and I call it work log because it's not just dev stuff, but it's pretty cool posting what I'm doing. How have you, what have you thought about the dev log?
1: So I think it's good. I actually like the, the short nature of it, and I think that's a good place to put it. Um, I think that that Discord is... I, I know people are par- probably part of a bunch of different Discords just because everybody has them now. Yeah. But I like the idea of keeping all of that uh, in one location for people to see. So you look at the work log and you can see what's going on. You don't have to go to a separate website or check Twitter or something. Yeah, you can
0: uh, look at it on your own time. and. Right. It's, and it's a totally... You opt in like it's not... It's not, like, notifying you, like, look at this. It's, like, if you want to read it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think for you, at least, you've been posting a lot. And I and I think um, mentally, it's easier to just write a short little thing if it's, like, in a chat style.
0: It's way easier because I've wanted to have a devlog for, like, a long time. But I could never really find a good way to do it. Like, I tried it on Twitter a few times, and it's just it's weird to try on Twitter. Well, you have the character limit, and then you're like, I don't want to keep, like, posting every little thing and on discord you can also edit your post so if you like you you want to change it or whatever
1: and in the way you have it set up too it's um you can react to it but you can't comment so it's just you so it's not so with a twitter you could get replies or questions or stuff this is like it's all right there and i think it's it's easy to see it and everything's time stamped i like it i think it's cool
0: yeah so that's probably the thing that i'm most excited about (laughs) on the whole well i mean i also like interacting with the community but I finally solved the devlog problem. It's solved. Check mark. So even if people don't want to be in the community, well, I mean, if you don't want to participate in the community, uh, that's another reason to join. Just if you want to learn, or well, if you want to just see what I'm doing, but you also want to learn a little bit more about game development and the process, because I'll usually write a little bit, like explaining what I'm doing or like why I did it. Just like a little, I try to give a little bit of extra information.
1: Yeah, there's um, the, the you know there's the channel set up and there's the game dev one and the programming one and there's some pretty good information in there um, from what's been said about different frameworks and what's been going on.
0: Yeah, so in addition to my log, which is separate, we also have a separate section for talking about game development. And yeah, and we have um, the creator of the ECS RX framework that I use uh, is very active in our Discord. His name is Graphit. And so he's been uh, posting a lot of really interesting stuff in the game development section.
1: Yeah, it gets pretty technical and deep. So, like, if you are interested in programming and game development, like, and you want to get in the weeds, that's a really good place for it. Because real problems are being talked about and solved. Uh, And solved is a loose term, right? Because it depends on how you want to actually go about tackling the problem. But there's different solutions in there uh, for ECS.
0: Yeah, and... You never really solve a problem. Right. You find the best solution at the time and there might always be a better one and you can always like discuss the strengths and weaknesses of each solution.
1: I think he even mentioned like, and it's, it's a, va- a very valid point, especially with game development, you're always making trade-offs for performance. So you could have very, very clean code that makes everything make sense, but it might not be optimal when you're actually running it. So you're always kind of playing that game between, uh, do I try to keep it pure or do I try to like enhance performance so people can actually use it?
0: Yeah. So you have expertly transitioned into the next topic, whether on purpose or not, it was brilliant. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, you know, I've been practicing just with people on the street.
0: You did see the notes. So I do. I I do. They're right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I built the game on the ECS-RX framework, and on WebGL, there are some performance issues. I've been talking a lot with Graphit, the yeah the creator of that framework, just about what could be causing these performance issues, what can be done about them. I mean, we've been talking about that a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. almost too much. And I just want to bring up the idea, because it's sort of a mistake that I made and probably a lot of people make, I've made it before too, where like, if you're using someone else's framework or, or just, you're using someone else's code, you just sort of might have this idea in your mind that it's magic. Yeah. Cause like when you wrote the code, you know how the code works, you know, which, uh, functions are going to be more heavy on performance. So you know what parts you want to use more sparingly, you know, what parts you can Correct. use as much as you want. I was just thinking like, cool, it's a reactive ECS framework. I can just do whatever I want because I want like the best, uh, cleanest architecture. But then it turned out that the way I was doing it wasn't working well with performance because of how things were working behind the scenes. In his framework, there's observable groups. And I had like 405 of them and he didn't even really like anticipate that people would be having that many. And so just as an example, like when uh, Bill Riser, like if you're playing as it's Contra dude, uh, if you fire a spread, it actually creates six entities. So first it sends an event, sends like a shoot event, and that event has information about the shot. And so then that event triggers in a system, you know, we're talking about ECS if you remember the S stands for system. So then a system reacts to that event, and it says, I'm going to spawn an entity. So this system doesn't spawn all the five bullets. This system spawns an entity that spawns a bullet. And again, you might think, like, why don't you just spawn the bullets directly? It's because of the way everything is set up. You have to have, like, a common workflow for how things work. Yeah. My shooting system uses blueprints. My blueprints are just a separate thing that I can create entities in the editor, in the unity editor, on the entity I can put all the components I need to spawn the bullets. Again, this is just an example of like doing things in a way that's easier versus more optimized. So we're having an extra entity spawned just to make it easier because that entity can have its own components that affect its behavior. Then that entity spawns, it's called like the spread the spread spawner or something like that.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's exactly what it does.
0: So then that spawns all five spread bullets. So what was happening is like, since it's reactive, it's triggering all of the like component checks. The way ECS works, it has to check every time you spawn an entity, it looks at all of the components on that entity. So every time you add or remove a component, it's updating 405 groups. I tried to batch the adding of the components so that it wouldn't call it so many times, but well just think of how many it would be if you were adding each component individually, which is actually what I was doing at first. So with the batch calls, it was 9,000 calls to the method that checks like if a group is if a group is like compatible with an entity. So when you would fire a single spreadshot, it's calling this one method 9,000 times.
1: And that that takes a performance hit.
0: Yes, and that's not an exaggeration, that's the real number. And this is after I optimized it. <laughs> I, sh- I wonder what it was before that. Man, it must have been like 100,000. I don't know. Because <laughs> I actually noticed when I was playing, like, how and when I shoot spread, like, why does it, like, stutter?
1: A little broadly, like, that's actually something that your code is written correctly, right? Um, and you're doing a game thing. Like, everything is logically sound, but it still isn't good enough for performance. So you have to now dig down deep. And that's usually right before you release the game, you want to get all your logic in there first, and then you go on to optimization after that.
0: I mean, you don't want to completely do that. Like one of the reasons I put out a preview is because I wanted to get a gauge on WebGL performance. Like the game's not fully written yet. So I was like, I'm going to have this like sort of rough version of the game that has the architecture I want to use. It's an ECS architecture, but I wanted to see if the way I did things was good enough. Um, cause you don't want to, you don't want to wait until the end.
1: Correct. I was oversimplifying.
0: You do have to think about performance throughout the project, but you're right. Like near the end is where you do the most, um, performance optimization, but you do want to make sure just kind of after you have at least your idea of how you want things to be, you need to make sure that that's going to be good enough performance because otherwise you're kind of just wasting your time and you're, you're going further to a place that you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's lots of ways to address the problem. So it's like the framework is slow with the way it's handling these observable groups. It's like can the can the code that runs that be optimized? And so he was trying to optimize a lot of that. And then it's like, what can I do on my end? This is the most easy on the organizational and like for how I want the code to be organized. It's like I don't want to change stuff on that, but like yeah, you do what you gotta do to make the game work right
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: so we worked on that for a while and then or I've been keeping my eye on the new Unity ECS I mean everyone's talking about it it's like, it's like all Unity talks about like oh look at what we're doing over here oh, this is so cool oh, it's going <laughs> to change everything and then all the other game engines too they're all like oh we're, we're ECS data oriented program or data oriented design
1: yes keywords buzzwords
0: everyone is obsessed with it right now and that's the reason I chose a like semi ECS framework, because there's several ECS frameworks. There's like pure ECS, <laughs> like there's different kinds. I mean, since everybody's talking about it, we should probably like,
1: I mean, you like Unity is what you are making the engine in. So yeah, you should, should talk about Unity ECS.
0: So first let's talk about like a reactive ECS versus a regular ECS. Let's do it. Again, the reactive thing is just, it's only one framework. I don't know of any other frameworks that have done it. It's certainly very convenient. I mean, you get the power of ECS without the performance. (laughs) I mean, you're selling it. But it's very convenient. Okay, so last time I talked about why I wanted to use a reactive version because I talked about some of the issues with how an ECS works. The way an ECS works Just real short refresher. E stands for entity, C stands for component, S stands for system. The components have your data. All they have is the data. The entity is just a collection of components. The entity itself isn't even a thing. It's actually just an index. Well, I mean, in a real ECS. How they implement it is up to them. And so then the systems do stuff with the components. And the way that the systems get updated is just in order. The systems just are all in a loop you just iterate through them and update you just call update on them and so that's what i was saying last time that that can be kind of limiting because you you don't actually react to events in real time
1: no you do it whenever the update statement's called
0: right let's do the shooting we'll we'll, we'll be we're playing bill riser on super mario crossover we got the spread gun it's
1: cool we we upgraded
0: we got a mushroom and a fire flower <laughs> You know, we're walking. We see we see a goomba. Even though the spread gun kind of sucks on them.
1: Yeah, man. Pay me a word picture.
0: We see a goomba. We're like we're like I'm gonna kill that goomba. I don't I don't like this goomba. He he looked at me in a way that I don't like. I'm gonna shoot him with this big ass gun. You press the shoot button. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but the way that's recommended in a normal ECS is that you would create a single entity with just one component. And that component would be called like shoot command. And that has information on like who shot, what bullet they're using, the information you need to spawn the bullet. So that uh, entity is now like sitting there in like the entity queue or whatever. If it was reactive, you would know right away the code Mm -hmm. that handles the shooting would get called immediately. And that's how I was doing it with ECS Rx. But in a normal ECS, that entity is sitting there like in a queue chilling out and then you know your code is like iterating through the systems it's like all right i'm going to update the walking system i'm going to update the some rendering system or whatever and then it finally gets to the like handle shoot event system then it looks through the entities and it's like hey is there anybody that has like a shooting event because like i'm the one that handles that (laughs) (laughs) this is how i think about the code no I,
1: i love the personification it's good
0: this is how I think about the code. I think about it as like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm passing this down. Like I'm passing this entity down. If anybody wants to use this, it's here. And so then, yeah, the shoot, the handle shoot event system gets there and he's like, hey guys, do any of you have a shoot command component? And so then you did shoot. So then this, he's like, yeah, I'm right here. And then the system is like, all right, I'm going to process you. So then however you handle that, that system would, would do its work and then it would say like, all right, because if you're using pure ECS, so then he, that system would do its work and it would be like, I changed this entity. Maybe I created a new entity. It's like, I'm passing this down. I don't know what anybody else is doing. I'm just leaving this entity here. You guys can do what you want with it. Did I explain reactive versus normal ECS well enough, you think?
1: Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's really like reactive. I mean, they, they do that on the web too. There's reactive. JS, you know, it's yeah. like a reactive system, it, it reacts to something that happens instead of just waiting on the call for the update or, or the loop that actually processes all these, yeah. these different things. So it's, it's trying to, as the name suggests, react to an event that happens.
0: It's definitely more convenient as a programmer, but it's not as good for performance. Now let's talk about how the Unity ECS is designed and like why it's designed that way. So I have used Unity's ECS for uh, like five or six days. I've been into like heavy research mode and then I've begun like actually like writing code with it recently. So I, I have a pretty deep understanding of how it works and how it's designed. And the reason I wanted to get a deep understanding is because of the mistake I made with using ECS-RX. This time I was like, okay, I need to know how it's designed so that I know which things cost more. So that I design my stuff for optimal performance.
1: You said cost, which is good. That's how things are generally thought of when you're talking about programming and like certain tasks uh, because there's CPU time or GPU time that's involved with it. So things are kind of like money, right? So it's like either frames or or memory stuff costs things.
0: Yeah, so when we say cost, we're we're talking about how long it takes. Mm -hmm. So we're basically saying it costs time. Right. So I wanted to know basically which things i can use whenever i want and which things i have to be more sparing with how i use them or like use them in a specific way. So first let's talk about how the data is laid out cuz that's probably the most important part. I don't know if what they're doing is revolutionary. It like it's designed for the way that caches work. And by the way, do you do you know about caches cuz i don't know a whole lot about.
1: Uh we learned about them when we were designing stuff in school like at a chip level so i don't
0: is it on the cpu
1: yeah so you have different versions different levels of cache
0: yeah there's three right
1: yes well usually yeah with modern chips um and each level you go up it's a little bit slower um so you have like your cpu and then you have your registers which is the fastest form of memory um it's right there on the cpu and then you have l1 cache l2 cache and l3 cache
0: and those are on the cpu right on
1: the die yeah
0: if you're not getting memory from the cpu then you're getting it from the ram correct
1: usually yeah there's caches where it it kind of stores information but yeah you're getting it from ram or and then you go up disc and each time you go okay so each time you go up it's slower right much slower like huge performance hits
0: this is something that i did not know i've been making games for about like eight years now i think and nobody was like talking about how like the cost of where the memory is of like the variables that you're using and stuff. And so I'm, I'm kind of upset about that, honestly, like <laughs> that, like I wish that was stressed more.
1: But not a lot of people actually know that or probably interact with that at all because uh, it's thought to be low level, right? Your language takes care of that for you and you shouldn't have to worry about it. But it does have real world performance, especially when it has to do with you know, you're working on a 16.7 or whatever millisecond update.
0: That's the 60 frames per second speed that he's talking about. Uh, there was a really good video that explained uh, the importance of the cache. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. He had a really good analogy for how the cache works. So when your code is accessing stuff in memory, it can either get it from the cache, and like there's different levels of cache, like Matt was saying, or it would have to go to the RAM to get it and each level is slower and the RAM is way slower.
1: hmm
0: <clears throat> And the analogy that this guy used was really good. He was saying it's like if you're, if you're in your kitchen and you're like preparing some food, if you're not using the cash, that would be like for each ingredient you need, like let's say you're, you have vegetables, let's say your recipe has carrots in it. You stop making your food, you get in your car, you drive to the grocery store, you buy some carrots, you drive back home, You're like, all right, I got the carrots. And then you're like, all right, what's next on the recipe? Like, uh, potatoes. So like, all right, potatoes. You get in your car, you drive to the grocery store, you buy potatoes, you come back, you got the potatoes. And then you're like, what's next? Uh, Celery, drive drive to the store, come back. That's if you're not using the cash.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good analogy because the difference in timing, it might seem minute to like us as humans, like it could be milliseconds, you know, it's not it's not a huge amount of time, but when your site, when your CPU is just idling because it doesn't have the data it needs because it's be getting it from Ram or something, it's like, it is that long. So it's like, Oh, if you need it from disc, it's like flying around the world or like going to the moon and then getting the information you need.
0: Yeah. And so then like when it puts it into the cache, cause like you have to have a, a cache miss once, I think. Yeah. Cause it has to put it into the cache. So now we'll do an example where it, you're, you're going to use the cash, so like you, you would drive to the grocery store, you'd buy the carrots, the celery, and the potatoes, and then you'd bring them home and you'd put them in your cupboard. So they're right there. Mm-hmm. And then when you need them in your recipe, you got them right there. Like you just go into your cupboard, you grab it.
1: It's a really good analogy. I like that. And I'll probably use that from now on. if I I think. thought
0: it was really good too. I'm going to link that video. And then he also explained the video, which was also really important, and again, it's why I'm like a little bit upset that this wasn't stressed earlier, Uh, they also stressed that the speed increase of CPUs versus the speed increase of random memory access. And the CPU speed has gone up by a lot, but the RAM has only gone up a little bit. So that's like the bottleneck. Yep. There's a graph in that video, like what that graph is showing is that it basically becomes more important every year to use data-oriented design so that you're using the cache because the CPU speed is increasing, but the RAM is very slowly, like very little increasing. So it's more important now than it was like 20 years ago.
1: No, it's, it's very true. And it's not something a lot of people think about when you're talking about it from a code perspective, because especially like computer science and stuff like that, you think about it from a structural standpoint and how uh, systems work and stuff like that. But now you kind of divorce it from the physical aspect of the hardware. There's like a dividing line. And when you actually get down to coding, stuff that requires performance, then you hit the real physical limits of the hardware and you got to start thinking about that.
0: Yeah, and then you got to structure things according to the hardware. And all the hardware is kind of using that same design with those same limitations, then that's what you need to prepare for. And so that's kind of why they decided to do data-oriented design. And then just another point that that guy made in the video was just that he's like, the problem isn't like this one function is slow or like this one area of your code is slow. The problem is all of your code is slow. And so what, what Unity is trying to address with this data-oriented design is like, let's let's get over that bottleneck so that the CPU can work at the rate that it's designed to work at. And then the CPU is not slowed down by accessing random memory.
1: It's exactly correct. I had no idea where this conversation was going to go. This is super interesting <laughs> because like, this is stuff we covered when I, I kind of briefly mentioned it on a podcast before, but like hardware, like this is stuff you actually think about. You, you think about things in like picoseconds and instead of in nanoseconds, instead of like milliseconds or seconds.
0: Yeah. And that's cool. Like, I don't know anything about that. And that sounds really interesting. So yeah, this is, a, it's cool that our areas overlap with each other. Yeah. That's the reason that they decided to do the data-oriented design. Another part of the ECS that works together with the data-oriented design uh, is what they call the job system. You can use it apart from the ECS. They're designed to be used together. What it basically does, it allows you to do multi-threading without worrying about dependencies because the way that they've laid out the memory when you schedule I should probably explain what a job is, right? Nobody even knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, go for it. I mean, a job is just like some work that you're telling it that you want to do. I haven't used the the threads in C Sharp, but I'm sure it's very similar to that. Like you can...
1: I've done multi-threading in C Sharp before, um, and you have to worry about all the things you have to worry about in, in uh, multi-threading, except for memory because it's a managed system. But you have to worry about variables being updated. Yeah,
0: you have to worry about like what's accessing...
1: Because I ran into problems with like saving files and file names because it was like, it moves so fast. Uh, I was saving a file with a timestamp and two things would try to save the same timestamp exactly because it was moving so fast. So you got to worry about those things. Okay,
0: perfect example. So that's, that's what they're trying to address with this. So the job, just think of the job as like some work that you want to do, like add 10 to X or something in a loop like a bunch of times to a lot of different things. The jobs they know what memory they're accessing. Like you have to tell it when you schedule the job, you have to say, uh, this is the data that I'm using and I'm, I'm writing to it. Or you just be like, I'm only reading to it. And then the job system will handle all of that for you. It'll make sure that the ones that are reading from it. Okay. I'm not a 100% expert on it, but, but I know it it handles the dependencies for you. I don't know how it handles the ordering. It's probably the order that you schedule the jobs in. If you told it, I want to read the memory and then I'm going to write to it.
1: Yeah, so like you kind of have to deal with that if you're managing your threads by yourself. So like you, sometimes you'll pass like a lock or something between it. So things uh, cannot write or read from different areas. And this sounds like this job system in the order. So you don't have to really worry about locking or unlocking.
0: It'll make sure that like your app doesn't, crash or whatever, and it'll, since it knows exactly what data you're accessing and whether you're reading or writing to it, it's going to do things behind the scenes to make sure it's all optimized, that everything can work together, it's all handled in the proper order. You don't really have to worry about that. So they're basically being, bringing multi-threading performance to game development in awesome. kind of a simplified way.
1: That's great because that's how, um, you know, a lot of CPUs now, we're, we, they are getting faster, but we are hitting limits. And part of overcoming the, that is yeah. is actually accessing the different cores of a CPU.
0: Yeah. So that's another big thing about the hardware, that it's not that the CPU, the speed of individual CPUs is speeding up, it's that we're getting more of them, more mm-hmm. threads, right? Yep. So, so also multi-threading is now becoming more important than it's ever been for performance. So that's the job system and the ECS working together with the data-oriented design. So the data-oriented design is giving you two benefits. It's helping you to cache your data so that you don't have to use random, the RAM, basically. And it's also using it to help the job system to know which data you're using. Since all of your data is always laid out in the in the proper way, it can handle those dependencies for you with the multi-threading. Um, so that's their whole reasoning behind designing it that way. However. Now let's get to the, you know, we've been saying like, it's pretty cool, but oh no.
1: Let's get, let's get to the bad stuff.
0: The same thing we were saying before, like, uh, performance versus convenience. Mm -hmm. It is not convenient to use. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I'll just brief. This doesn't even really have anything to do with the actual data layout or anything, but, uh, they also have this thing called the burst compiler. That I've heard of this. You can use that in jobs. And I don't really know a lot about how that works. I just know it makes things more faster and more optimized. But there's also limits with how you can use that.
1: They, they I think, touted 100 times faster than the previous compiler.
0: Wow. Yeah, so you want to try to use that when it's possible. And I think you can only use it in jobs, but I might be wrong about that. I haven't looked into that as much, and I can't use that in WebGL yet. I also can't use multi-threading in WebGL yet.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of limitations to WebGL.
0: Luckily, I can still write the code with those things and they just won't use it right in the WebGL version.
1: Until they update.
0: It'll eventually become available. Yeah. So there's a lot of limitations with how you can use it. The entities can only have blittable types. Are you familiar with that term? No. Okay, so we actually have to talk even a little. <laughs> we have to go into so much technical stuff here. We even have to talk a little bit about how C sharp works because it's C sharp is managed. It creates a virtual machine. You also can use unmanaged memory in C sharp. You you can access it directly, and I didn't even know much about that until actually until I put in game music emu because I had to use it directly with C But anyway, so with C sharp, you have the managed. You know, I don't, I don't even know 100% how everything works. Like, the stack and the heap are both managed, right? I believe so. And so then the uh, is the unmanaged just completely separate from this?
1: I would just, I'm, I've never used unmanaged memory in C-sharp, so I don't really know.
0: It's got to be completely separate, right?
1: Uh, it would be surprising if it wasn't because the garbage collector would be scanning that memory. Okay,
0: so it's definitely not garbage collected, so that means right, it's right. not managed. Because that's basically what managed means, right? Right
1: yeah i don't know how many people know by the way just a quick managed means that when you create a variable or something you don't have to worry about allocating uh memory from that it will automatically do it so if you declare a variable you can use it you don't have to worry about it you can get you don't you can like not use it again and the garbage collector will come up and free that memory space for you a managed system or an unmanaged system means you got to take care of all of that so if you have a variable that you've allocated memory for and you forget about it it's still there it's still being used even if you don't use it ever again. Yeah,
0: so I feel like this is really cool because you still get to use C-sharp. When you're using the Unity ECS, it's almost like you're using a subset of the language, but then outside of that ECS stuff, you can still use C-sharp however you want. It is kind of cool because it's still going to give you optimal performance because the Unity ECS, it's using unmanaged, like all the data it uses is unmanaged.
1: It's probably for performance.
0: Yeah, it's for performance. But anyway, because it's all unmanaged, like it's really limited on how you can use it. And those blittable types that we were talking about, that means the type looks in in memory layout. If you're looking at the layout of the memory of that type, it looks exactly the same in the unmanaged memory as it does in the managed memory. And for some reason, bool is not, which makes no sense to me.
1: So blittable, does it have anything to do with like the old school, like hardware blitters where it would very quickly copy memory between two locations?
0: Probably. Because if it, if the memory is the same, it, it can do it really quick.
1: So that's my guess. From context, maybe. I'll look at it later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen the term a lot. Like, I know there's graphics blitting.
1: Right, that's what I heard it from. Like, the Amiga had a blitter in it. So that's why it, it could do a lot of things that other computers couldn't.
0: But for some reason, bool isn't in that. I can't, I can't even understand why. The int is the same. All the other value types are the same. It's like, but not.
1: That's what people are coming to listen to us for. This real in-depth knowledge that we definitely have no idea what we're talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but like everybody's posted on the forum, like why why isn't bool blittable? Like right. that's a native
1: type. Is is bool a primitive? I don't know if, it, I don't actually know the C-sharp primitives.
0: What do you mean by primitive?
1: There's a primitive like data types.
0: A bool is actually a byte in C-sharp, which doesn't also make sense. So maybe it's not. Wow,
1: that's a lot. That's a big amount of memory for...
0: I mean, maybe that has something to do with it.
1: Now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at C sharp primitives.
0: You should define primitive because I sort of know what it means, but
1: so it's like the most fundamental uh, data type in any language. So um, it's what you can build other data types off of.
0: Oh, so you're saying that bool is like an int underneath or something like that?
1: Yeah. Um. And I don't know.
0: I'm pretty sure it's a byte.
1: So that would make sense, right?
0: Well, yeah, so that would be a byte underneath, if a byte is a primitive, which I would assume that that would would be.
1: I'm going to have to look at this later. I don't want to look at it during the podcast. <laughs> now we but... just,
0: like, stop the podcast and look <laughs> stuff up as we're talking. Very professional.
1: <laughs> well, it says from this website, strings in C-sharp are not primitive types, which makes sense because... Well, yeah, you
0: can't use strings at all because they're not even value types.
1: I mean, it makes sense, right? Because even, like, in C, I think it's, like, int and... I don't remember. I'm going to be speaking out of my butt.
0: We should probably stop saying all this stuff that we know nothing about because it makes us sound very stupid.
1: Maybe we can learn this and report back.
0: (laughs) I think that's the sign of a smart person is that they know what they don't know and then they look it up.
1: Right. Programming is an unending list of things I don't know that I learn.
0: And you got to be able to be like, I don't know this. I need to learn about this.
1: No, I'm going to stick to my guns and make a really bad system.
0: Yeah. So they have to be blittable and only value types are blittable. I mean, even if it was just limited to value types, you would already be very limited. And I guess we need to explain that really fast. C has basically two different types. There's reference types and value types. Underneath a reference type is actually a pointer to data somewhere else. And a value type is just the actual data. Is that a good explanation?
1: Yes. I mean, it's always like we have to assume people know a little bit pointers.
0: Yeah. We, we can't go into everything. But it's basically saying like, hey, a pointer just is what it sounds like. It's Points simple. to memory. It's location. like, hey, it's over there. Right. The memory's over there. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you, the code talks to me and that's what it says.
1: It's good. <laughs> or maybe you need sleep. One of the two.
0: <laughs> okay. so So you can't use any reference types also. Obviously, with the previous constraint, so that means like your components could only have like numbers, numbers and structs, basically, <laughs> because a struct is basically just like a group of value types. Right. If you know what you're doing, it's not it's not that bad. So I'll like have if I want to put it a reference type, then I would just put like an ID on a component. Like, a, let's say I have a I want a component with a game object. I would just have a component with an ID, and I would just have a dictionary somewhere that has like game objects with IDs in them, and then it would just look up the game object. But then you have to be careful because then you're accessing the random memory again. Takes longer. You got to keep that in mind now. Like, when am I accessing data in the same place? Because then that's going to get cached. And when am I accessing data from somewhere else? Because you want to. If you're getting the data from somewhere else, you wanna do that first. It's like if you need to access management or you get something, it's like do that first and then get your uh, your data-oriented design data. Yeah. Then that goes in the cache. And, and I'm still kind of learning about all this caching stuff. It's very new to me, but now that I know about it, again, I mostly just feel angry about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny too, cause like um, a lot of people use Unity, C Sharp, that sort of like game engines, JavaScript engines, Uh, because they don't want to deal with memory, because it's a pain. It seems like you're, and Unity as the engine itself is, moving to push people towards doing some of that memory management, like you can't get away from it. I mean, they handle
0: most of it for you still, and they actually have their own um, containers. They're actually structs, so they'll have like native array. Uh, Are you familiar with Span and C Sharp? It's recently...
1: No, I don't think I've used it.
0: Okay, so it's bas- it's a struct, and it's basically a pointer to memory. So it allows you to access unmanaged memory in a managed way.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: It, it's sort of like a unifying way to access all different kinds of memory. Okay. And Unity is sort of doing the same thing. The native array is actually just a struct with a pointer and a length. So it's like a little structure that helps you to access... Right. The, ma- the unmanaged memory in like a, a more safe way.
1: So you're not like going outside the bounds.
0: Yeah, because like they kind of handle that for you when you create the native array, they'll create the memory. And I love it. They're actually finally like starting to trust developers to do things themselves. Like they'll actually let you choose um, how you want that memory to be allocated. And so like if you need that memory to be around for the whole Program, You can tell, it like, I need this forever.
1: And so the garbage collector is not even going to sniff in that direction? No, the
0: garbage collector isn't seeing any of this.
1: Oh, this is in the unmanaged space.
0: They're, they're just talking about the, the ways that they'll allocate the memory. There's different ways you can do it that are faster and slower, apparently. And then, so you could say, like, I want this for a long time. And then they'll use, like, the slow way to allocate it. Or you could say, I want this just for, just for like, a little while. And then they'll allocate it quickly. And then you have to dispose it when you're done. That's very C++. Yeah. It feels okay to me. I like what they're doing because, again, you can still use all the normal C-sharp stuff like outside of, you know, the ECS. And uh, so so you still have access to all that. This is like just if you want the optimal performance, you have to follow these limitations.
1: Yeah, and I actually I really like that approach because if you do end up hitting a wall with performance, this allows you to go further than than the language uh, other languages would normally allow
0: again it almost feels like you have two languages in one now to me yeah so we didn't even talk about the job thing yet so like you think you're limited just with the components it's like once you go into a job again so that's like you're, you're scheduling some work for later mm-hmm. for the multi-threading in a job you can only access unmanaged data like you can't even You can't even have any managed object in the job,
1: man. That seems super
0: limiting. That's where you're really limited is in a job. But again, if you're like, if you're like, okay, I'm going to use ECS, but I'm only going to do jobs for like certain things. And that's, that's probably what I'm going to do. I mean, it's not like my game is like that. (laughs) No, it's, (laughs) it's a retro 2d platformer. I mean, it's not like it's doing anything crazy, but like. One thing that I would use a job for is like applying velocity to position. Anytime you need to iterate through a lot of similar things, that's what the ECS excels at. Because um, anytime you have a lot of the same entities, they call them archetypes. It just means the entities have the same types of components. It The memory layout looks the same. The ECS excels when you have like a lot of those similar type entities and you just need to do the same thing on all of them. That's where you get, like, insane speed.
1: So let me ask you something, and I don't want to drag this on too long just because we've talked about this a lot. So C Sharp, I've used a lot of async and await functionality within C Sharp. How does that compare with ease of use and speed? Like, is there a huge increase in performance with using this ECS uh, job system as opposed to using, like, an async and await?
0: Yeah, because the way they design it for all the things to work together. You're talking about specifically in a job, right? Yeah. So like once you're in a job, like you have insane performance, like I have to call it insane. I, there's no other way to describe it. If you're using the burst compiler, if you're not doing anything that disqualifies you from that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know exactly how that works, but I know it makes it way faster. You're using the data oriented design. So you're you're caching data. Whereas when you're using, well, I mean, I guess, I guess if your data was laid out in normal C-sharp, I mean, you could still cache it if it was all in like one array, right? Yeah. Could you? I assume you still could.
1: I don't know. I'd actually have to look, I don't want to say yes or no. I'd have to look deeper into it.
0: The speed boost is from the caching. So the data oriented design. So that's a huge speed boost right there. And then on top of that, the burst compiler. And then the other thing that they do is again, they, they manage the dependencies for you because of that speed boost, like you're, you're limited to how you can use it.
1: I mean, from what you've described, it, it does sound like they actually thought this through pretty decently and they're, they're allowing a lot of things to happen if you, you know, work your way into exactly how they want you to do it.
0: Yeah. That's okay. That's the main, that's a really good thing to bring up. Like, so before I was talking about writing my code really generically and I was like, this is so cool. Cause like my code is all interfaces and I'm using dependency injection. So that means I can easily switch to Godot. Like I can easily switch game engine. Right. Like, Not nah, anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> you drank the Kool-Aid, you're in it. Like if you go into the Unity ECS, it's like you're you're with Unity now. Like they own you.
1: <laughs> and and that is uh, the trade-off, right? Because they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to optimize your code. But it makes your code so much less portable.
0: Um, the actual design of your code is reusable because you're following ECS, but the way that it's implemented, yeah, you're definitely, uh, I mean, if you were switching to something else, you'd have to like do some major rewrites. Yeah. One other thing I just wanted to mention about unity. Sometimes they make strange choices. I feel they have this thing called hybrid mode. I mean, it's, it's not really a thing. It's just the way that they recommend you use the new ECS with what people call the classic game object system, which sounds funny to me, but they call it, it's just, they're just game objects. They're not classic game objects.
1: The classic game objects.
0: <laughs> Everyone calls them classic game objects now. They're like the classic way. Unity classic.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they changed it and they had to change the flavor back.
0: <laughs> the way that they recommend you do it, don't do it. I don't know what they were thinking. Okay. And the re- the reason you need to use the ECS with game objects is because when the ECS is still in preview, a lot of stuff that the unity engine can do hasn't been converted to the ECS system and they're still keeping the game object way, but they're, they're basically like rewriting everything. So you can also do it with ECS. So they're going to basically have like two worlds almost. So every everyone basically is gonna need to use game objects with ECS for a while. You want to be smart with how you do it, and the way that they tell you to do it is weird. They say that you should put all your components on mono behaviors. That doesn't mean anything to you because <laughs> you don't know what a mono behavior is. <laughs> a mono behavior is a game object component. Okay. Like it was still a component. Um, the components weren't weren't just data. You can like put code on the components. And they're very slow, a lot of overhead. So for some reason they're telling you to create a mono behavior, which we could, we'll use their language. We'll call it a classic component.
1: Okay. Now I'm in.
0: (laughs) So they're telling you to create a classic component for each thing, instead of an ECS component, and then to use those in the systems. And again, those are reference types. So then you can't use them in jobs. So they're basically saying, don't use the job system and also get none of the performance benefits of ECS and also actually have more classic components to actually cause your game to use more memory and be even slower.
1: That's a weird choice.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to tell you how you should do it.
1: You listening everybody, listen up.
0: You should do as much of your code in pure ECS as possible still think of your game as, like, a pure ECS game. So if you want, like, a game object, you would just have, like, a game object component for ECS, and you just store an ID. So this is a value type, so you're fine to use it in ECS. Mm -hmm. And when you do need to access that game object, you just store a lookup table somewhere, a dictionary, and you you just grab it. You know, when your entity is created with that component, you... You create the game object, or you can even pool the game object is what you should do. You should be using pooling. That's another concept we haven't talked about.
1: We'll, we'll get to it eventually.
0: When you're done, it's destroyed or sent back to the pool or whatever. you don't really care in this part. And then when you need to like send data to your game object or get data from your game object, you'll just create specific systems for that. I'm still having the classic game objects handle all the physics. So when the physics simulation is run, before it's run, I sync the data from my ECS world into the classic world. So then now the physics is all updated. It's ready to run. It runs. Boom. Now the physics has the more recent data. So then you just copy that data back into your ECS.
1: That seems pretty smart, actually. I like it.
0: That's how you should do it. I can't think of any other way that you would want to do it. That would make sense. Jump cut to two months from now
1: when <laughs> Oh, it didn't work. Dude, yeah, <laughs> it was not it's not the, re- the way to do it at all.
0: <laughs> I was such a fool. No, this is this. I mean, this is the same way I was doing it in ECSRX too. I have I'm very loosely coupled with the uh, the game object world of Unity, and you should be, cause cause then this also means when they do eventually port stuff over to the ECS, it's like. Changing it is going to be a breeze. You you'll just sync your data to that thing, or maybe you won't even need to sync your data because you can just use that thing directly. So that's how I would recommend doing hybrid mode. Feel free to ask me questions about that in the Exploding Rabbit Discord server in the game development channel.
1: Check it out. Join. Talk to us.
0: Uh, I think that's probably enough. Uh, the game dev stuff.
1: Cool. Well, you've been talking a whole lot, so I'm going to give you a break. Cool. While I have not been developing any games, I have been playing some games.
0: That's crazy.
1: One big release that just came out, uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch.
0: Wow, I've never heard of that.
1: Yeah, it's the ultimate version of Smash Brothers. Uh, So yeah, I, I bought it on release day and I've been playing it a lot for as much time as I actually get to play games these days. Um, it's It's been occupying quite a bit of my time, and I've been playing it with people and by myself, and it is by far the best Smash game I've played since Melee and definitely the most content in any Smash game, period. Uh, it is really, really good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's hard for me to explain like why it feels so different from smash for wii u aside from content because i think they've modified the engine but it's it's not a direct port but it's it's based on that code base but tons of characters they've really polished up the menu system the modes that they have in there they have like a spirit mode that i think is just really really clever They have their, I think it's like 74 characters in it. It's every character that's ever been in a Smash. Oh my God. Yeah. Any character that's ever been in Smash is in this game, plus some new ones. So, I mean, they even got Snake. Like, they got got all the licenses for the old stuff.
0: So everyone that was in a previous game is in this game? Yep. Cool.
1: And, like I said, and new ones, and they're going to keep adding.
0: Okay, I wasn't really that excited about the game, just because every game feels the same to me. I, Smash Brothers used to be like my favorite game, but then after a while I was like, okay, it's the same game, (laughs) but anyway, when I saw that they're doing the dude from Persona, I was like,
1: what? Yeah.
0: Okay. That's really cool.
1: I mean, they are pulling from like, it's not just to me, Smash Brothers is not just now, oh, this is like a love letter to Nintendo characters. Like they are crossing many video games. It's like a love letter to like Japanese video games. They got Simon and Richter Belmont from Castlevania in there.
0: Oh, Richter is in there? Yeah. I heard about Simon.
1: Yeah. Two two separate characters. It's just this really, really fun game, like this big nostalgia trip. The fighting is really fun.
0: Wait, so you said it's, it's Japanese games only?
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of...
0: They don't have, like, Geralt from The Witcher, do they?
1: No, but they do have some nods to different characters. So, for instance, um, they have these, like, assist trophies, which are, like, characters from different games uh Shovel Knights one of the assist trophies. So it's like really cool seeing like a modern indie character Yeah, in there. that's cool. And a, and a bunch of other stuff. Like there's Pong, you throw it in there's like these two paddles and like
0: I think they had Pong in one of the previous ones.
1: You might be right. You might be right. So I bought the Wii U version and the 3DS version but I never played them extensively. It never really grabbed me um in a way that this one is actually. Oh yeah, I mean they have cloud now, right? Also Cloud was in the Wii U one, but yes. But he was a DLC character in the Wii U. He one. was a DLC character. They had Bayonetta. So that's why I'm saying. It's, it's, the slant is way more towards Japanese games, but it's so fun. I don't know. Like, it feels faster. Online, still not that good. They still don't have a really good online system. I've Tons of lag. Matchmaking takes a while. I, I hope they improve it. It's not the best.
0: So I need, if I wanted to get this, I would need to have local friends, you're saying?
1: You don't need them. You just need to be able to put up with some uh, matchmaking things. So you can find a game that the lag doesn't feel bad, but there is lag issues. They recommend you have a LAN connection, like a hardwired connection, which you actually need to buy an adapter for so it's not, like, built in.
0: (laughs) I hate that stuff.
1: But it's just... I think it's an incredible game.
0: What's the single-player like? Don't they have, like, a a single-player mode?
1: They do. They have, like individual character adventures that are based on their character. So it's really cool. Like I played through Lynx, and at the end you fought like massive Ganon, like Ganon Ganon, like a big version of him. Is he a character? So it's the final smash for Ganondorf. So he turns into a... so, But you actually fight him. They have a bunch of different ways that they deal with game modes. So it's like they have HP base, they have like percentage base where you get fla- thrown off the stage. And they have all these little things they actually increase their roster from their base characters so for instance they have uh ryu ryu they try to treat it like you're going through street fighter 2s you know flying around so like you go into spirit mode and you actually like fly around and they do spirits that try to they try to make characters act like a different character would so for instance they don't have blanca in the game but to represent blanca they have a, a green donkey kong and then they give him like a spin move, so it, it it's like oh, this is like reminiscent of Blanca fighting. Zero Suit Stant, Samus is Chun Li, Incineroar is Zangief, and they do these little modifications to it to try to fit the character. And I think it's just like super smart. Cool. Um, so really, really fun game. Can't recommend it enough. I'm gonna keep playing it. I have not unlocked all the characters. I think I've unlocked 60 or so characters.
0: I can't believe there's seventy four. Did you say?
1: I think that's the number. Man,
0: I remember the first Smash Brothers for Nintendo sixty four. I remember I finally unlocked. I think Ness was the hardest character to get. hmm Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa!" It's like there's so many characters.
1: <laughs> yeah, back then it felt it felt incredible to play with all those different characters. Yeah. Oh, it also has every stage that's ever been in the Smash Brothers. H- how many is that? Like hundred something i think
0: that's crazy i like that hyrule temple level yep that's my jam
1: they have the n64 version and the melee version wow
0: they have different versions of them well okay so you're you're saying they actually have every version of Oh,
1: every stage that's ever been that's
0: crazy
1: i mean they just jammed there's never been a game value that i felt like oh yeah don't even worry like spend the 50 bucks or 60 bucks it has so much in there. Wow. Two thumbs up. I've heard that there are problems with input latency. It has the highest input latency of any Smash Brothers. I hope that they fix it.
0: Is that related to the Switch?
1: Yeah, I don't actually know what it's related to, but there, it, actually based on the different control types, there's different versions of latency. So like if you use the GameCube adapter, it's a lower latency. You
0: can still play with a GameCube controller. <laughs>
1: because this the pro scene like they they thrive that's i just i can't
0: believe like one game has kept this old controller around for i don't know how many years ago the 2001 I i just i've never heard of anything else like that happening that one game can make a controller of an old console still survive
1: i mean i'm using so i bought the adapter for wii u for the, that version and it works it's just a usb thing so it actually works on the switch still i didn't have to buy a new one um and i'm using a wave bird with that and i really like that
0: <laughs> wait did they make a new wave bird no this is like the old you're using you're still using the same yeah i can't even that's i'm speechless
1: nintendo cares i guess enough
0: well they care enough about making money
1: it, the community around smash is like really really passionate so well, I mean, it's a, it's a big moneymaker for them.
0: I mean, they got people to to rebuy GameCube controllers, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. They make new GameCube controllers.
0: Yeah. I mean, anytime you can sell like a physical thing, I mean, Nintendo's always on that.
1: Yep. So yeah, it's really good. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I'm going to keep playing it. It's just fun. It's a fun game.
0: I'm going to have to visit you.
1: Yeah. Come play. I got, it, it's up to eight players.
0: All right. We'll try to v- figure something out over the break. Uh, I played Marvel's Spider-Man. Uh, it's pretty cool. You say you played it too, right?
1: I have. Um, so I didn't buy it, but the day it came out, I went and red boxed it because I was inspired by you saying I rent games, and I was like, why don't Why don't I rent games?
0: Yeah, I would describe the game as fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. It is a fun game.
0: Like, yeah, you're Spider-Man. You just, you, you web-sling around the buildings, you know? And you see a crime, you stop it, you continue on with your web-sling, you pick up a backpack that you left from, like, years ago. Apparently Peter Parker left backpacks all around the city and no one, like, noticed them.
1: Yeah. So he's, like, uh, the game looks incredible. It, like, the, the, it's graphically amazing. But also, yeah, he's like an older version of Peter Parker. So he's not like a teenager. This is like early adulthood in this game. So these are like backpacks from his youth.
0: And I mean, you feel like you're Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I mean, the game didn't have like a big impact on me or anything. I just thought it was fun. I don't know.
1: It's a really fun game. It reminded me a lot of the Batman Arkham Asylum games. It's very
0: similar. They obviously use that as like a blueprint.
1: The animations in the game are really good. Uh, there's this, um, if you ever watch the series Extra Credits on YouTube? Yeah. So the guy, that, the guy Dan, he has his own YouTube series called New Frame Plus because he's an animator. So he goes through different games and talks about animation. He, he made one about Spider-Man that's really good about how they handle animation in that game. And it, it looks really good and it feels really snappy. The web slinging in that game, I know everybody's talked about it, felt really great like it felt like you had control
0: that was like one of the few games where i didn't feel like i needed to fast travel yeah they do allow you to fast travel later in the game but like even when you can you're just like you're like no i'm cool because i'm i might like stop some crimes on the the way there and like that's what they want you to do it was handled very well so you probably didn't play to the end right
1: no i played probably three-fourths of the way before i had to return it
0: so it got really good at the end um the story actually takes a more dark turn which i really liked because i wasn't expecting it so yeah the last like part of the story is really cool they have like a million suits like i don't feel like they even need them but there's so many different suits that you can wear did you like that or
1: yeah i thought that was cool um they the suits they really had detail
0: yeah i mean they really like went to town on those like the they're very different from each other. And then the ones you unlock later, there's like even some like really weird ones.
1: Yeah, and I felt like that one, it was a really cool, easy, easy, I say in quotes, a uh, way to pay homage to all the different Spider-Man universes. So it was really cool to see like, oh, there's this like old junkie suit from when he first started. Uh, I think they just put in like a couple of days ago, the Spider-Man suit from the Sam Raimi films oh they did yeah so it's just really really cool i the attention to detail in that game is pretty massive i think it's it's an achievement in that style of game
0: yeah i I would definitely recommend it um for some reason i'm not like excited about it i don't know i'm not i think i'm just there's so many superhero things that i just get tired of like superhero stuff everywhere yeah but like as a game it's really well done the fighting is fun too
1: super fun and it's challenging i felt like i agree like they i think they got the challenge at the right level on that yeah because batman felt i think a little too easy to me um and i know you could crank up the difficulty but batman felt like you were a little bit too powerful spider-man you can make mistakes and die
0: yeah you you can die and there are parts where like like, oh no i'm I'm gonna die i need to like really focus and you know that's what you want like we're like oh i need to focus and okay i just remembered a giant criticism i have uh you know those they have these things called suit powers yes did you ever use any other suit power than the first one
1: so i kind of got warned a little bit that if you use too much of those they could break the game like they can (laughs) not not like physic like like crash the game but like make the combat really really easy
0: the problem that i had with it is that the first suit power they give you you get it like right at the beginning of the game is the best one for the entire game sure and i have no idea why they thought that was a good idea i have no idea
1: maybe it was like a i don't know balance thing that they saw and i mean
0: they could have easily switched that just like swap in a different one and put that one at the end so you get it last or you get it later because like every time i got a new one i was like oh that's kind of cool but the one I have is way better. So I'm not going to use it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree.
0: So I think that was a mistake. And then it's not a mistake, but like, I think since we were getting so many suits, I wasn't that excited about the suits. Cause I was, they were just gradually unlocking. And then I was like, I was like, why am I unlocking these suits? Like, it would be kind of cool if you like had to do something to get the suit or it's the fact that there were too many that they didn't feel that that somehow diminished it for me. There's too much? Yeah. Um, or at least you get them too easily or they give them to you too often that that they like didn't feel like something special.
1: So that's actually a good contrast to Smash Brothers, which people have been complaining that um, the grind to unlock the characters, because you start with that original roster and then you have to unlock every single character. Is it
0: the Nintendo 64 version? Yeah,
1: like the, the original, like whatever, eight characters. Cool. And people were complaining, oh, it's such a grind to get all these characters. Why aren't they unlocked from the beginning? And I feel like what you're hitting on is kind of what Smash Brothers does well. Yes, it's a grind, but it's a fun grind. And you feel like you're, you're constantly building out your roster and these characters are cool and you want to play with them because it took so long to get them.
0: And you said you watch Game Makers Toolkit and he also talked about that recently. I was like, yeah, that's how I felt when I was playing Spider-Man. I was like, they kept giving me suits. And I was just like, yeah, it was something about the, something about the way that you unlocked stuff. Cause also there's gadgets. And again, like I would just look at it and it's like, you got a new gadget. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why do I have a new gadget? <laughs> it's like, I don't care. I'm fine with the gadgets I have. I don't need, like there were some gadgets that I just didn't use them. Cause I already had enough. And I was like, these ones are fine. I don't. I think for the gadgets, they wanted to give you eight, so that would be one for each direction. But I just didn't feel like they needed that many.
1: It's kind of like you. You're you're always like the economy of mechanics. Like you're you're loading the game down with so much stuff to do that it might not even get used. I think like
0: the basic thing of the game, like the basic premise of the game, is awesome. Like jumping around, slinging webs fighting uh and the story like they're all they're all good and then i just felt like they just kind of like let's just pile a bunch of shit on top of it it's not it's not shit it's just it's like
1: dude i I don't need it
0: just you know just get rid of it
1: oh yeah (laughs) yeah some of that might be residual from like oh we've been working on this game for a while and these are just ideas we had so they're just sitting there
0: i mean it doesn't really like harm the game, although it just makes stuff feel less exciting. Like when I got my first, like two or three gadgets, I was like, "Oh, cool! I can shoot a web that knocks people down." And then it's like, "Oh, now you got this one." It's like, "Oh, here's another one." And uh and another another s- small criticism. I, don't know, I guess most, <laughs> when I do, what are you playing? I just criticize stuff. I like, guess what I do.
1: It's it's hard to not fall into that mode.
0: There's a, there are parts in the game where you play as other characters. I just felt like they were kind of boring. Just they kind of slowed it down a little bit too much. The first time it happened, I was like, oh, it's interesting. And then it happens multiple times. And then you're sort of like, anytime it happens, you're like, come on. I want to be Spider-Man. Come on.
1: No, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that you do. I know like you kind of they, they do need to pace the game out. You don't want action at every single moment because that can become overwhelming and tiring. And so you do need to put some different low-key moments but i get what you're saying
0: it's that the the mechanics of those parts of the game were the weakest in the game i I feel
1: but it's a i thought it was a really good game i had fun playing it i would recommend it it is fun that's that's my
0: word for the game
1: and i will go back to it eventually when i have some more time i'll probably yeah
0: the ending chapters are pretty cool
1: i really wanted to keep playing it when i had to return it so that's like a good
0: yeah it's a good sign
1: um i have one more thing to talk about and i don't have a lot to say about it except it's really cool and free it's a game called total chaos it's a fan made game and i learned about it from an article on waypoint uh by patrick klepek this game took 14 years to come out it was just like a labor of love from uh, one guy who started it's actually it's based on the doom engine and it's like a total conversion mod and it's you're like on an island it's like a survival horror style game and you're like in an insane asylum and the the engine is so heavily modified by what this guy did it looks pretty modern it does not uh i think it uses z doom or some other version of the doom engine and it's incredible i think it's like a testament to somebody who just put their nose down and like never gave up on this one project i totally recommend reading the article about the guy and what he did and playing the game because I'm just blown away by this one thing. So I've been playing through it. It's pretty spooky, and I, I I love it. I think it. I love projects like that where I mean the guy, he's not charging for it. It's just a labor of love.
0: Uh, what platforms is it? On? Just PC. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, because it's it's just a it's a Doom total conversion. You don't have to do anything special if you go to the website that the guy's hosting it on. It's all one contained package. So you can play it on on your pc it's very cool so if we can i'll link to i'll give you the article to link to um the article on waypoint and a link to the game itself
0: that sounds very cool thanks for sharing
1: we talked about the games we liked we we were really in depth this episode about unity which i think is really good um i don't know if there's a lot of podcasts out there that go into the sort of depth that we have and because of that we ran a little long um, this is going to be a longer episode and there's stuff that we wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about this time.
0: Yeah. So, uh, we're going to call our segment at the end real talk, uh, cause that's going to be talking about the, just things in the real world. We, we always go, uh, more in depth than we expect to. Um, we're going to have to figure out if we need to do episodes more often. We need to figure out some way to, be able to talk about all the things we want to talk about and still keep the episodes i mean i think we're targeting like an hour right
1: well, that's the goal but we're already at almost two
0: yeah well some of that will be edited out but right yeah we're already like over our mark and this keeps happening so um we need to figure something out we we did have a segment plan about real world stuff but we're going to figure that out.
1: Definitely. It's not going to go away. We're still going to talk about what we're going to talk about.
0: It's just that we we don't want to rush it. We do both feel that the things we want to talk about are really important. So we got to figure out how to integrate it into the show better.
1: And if it needs needs more episodes, which I actually don't think is a bad thing because the stuff we talk about... It's
0: not. I think we're getting better at this and I'm editing it faster too. So if we can just yeah knock these out quick, then we can do more. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely but thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, I hope it was informative and as always join us on our discord, talk to us, tell us what you thought about this episode, what you want to hear more about, what do you want to hear less about?
0: Yeah. And you can also support us on Patreon if you like this podcast and you also just want to support exploding rabbit in general, we'd really appreciate that. And the rewards have been updated. So, wow.
1: I haven't even noticed that.
0: Yeah. That's another thing I this was a crazy month. It's another thing I did. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are automated too. So it doesn't take me any extra work to do the rewards.
1: Awesome. Well, until next time, I've been Matt.
0: I think you will remain Matt after this too. If I'm... We'll find out. Okay. I'm Jay and I might be Jay next time. I we'll, we'll find out.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: Bye.